This morning's scripture reading is from Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, from the New Living Translation. Children, obey your parents, because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's great to be back. Jolene and I have been away the last couple Sundays. Um, the first Sunday we were off with the staff at a leadership development uh, camp experience, which was fantastic. And then we took a week to be away in, in Vermeer. I'm like really echoey, eh? I have this booming voice this morning. Um, yeah, a week away at Invermere just to, to get away this summer, spend some time uh, before our baby comes. He's due at the beginning of August, and we're incredibly excited about that. And so I've been thinking a lot about being a dad, and this is getting a lot worse, eh? Check one, two. Is that better? Better? We'll get it? Still really echoey. That's all right. I'll just switch to the, the backup mic. Oh, that's better. There we go. Okay, there we go. We're good. All right. So yeah, so Jolene and I got away on a bit of a, a baby moon, is what I guess they're calling it these days. You get away before you have your first kid. And, um, and that was a really good time. And I've obviously been thinking a lot about being a dad. And uh, I thought it was funny that Ken gave me this passage because it's talking about parents and children and I'm kind of like, well, I don't feel like I have a lot of experience to be speaking on this. And then just to add to that, this is the Sunday we don't have children's ministry, so all the kids are down here. And so they get this nice teaching of children obey your parents, um, but we'll navigate those waters together. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting for me as I've been thinking about being a dad because you get thinking a lot about how you're currently living your life. And when I think about Jolene and I and the house that we have and the, the family that we've established, I ask myself the question, is the way that we're living conducive to raising a child up in the way of the Lord? You know, and you start thinking about these things, the, the habits that you formed, the, the things that you do day in and day out. How will this affect our little child? And you start processing these things. And you start thinking about, how am I going to raise this child? Paul's been talking a lot about our homes. He's been talking about the importance of living out our faith in the context of our families. And Ken has done such a good job setting up this section in Ephesians. And he's reminded us that this section of Ephesians is flowing out of chapter 5, verse 18, where Paul is instructing the church to be filled with the Spirit. He says that as we're filled with the Spirit, it will begin to influence several things. And he kind of lands at this idea that as we're filled with the Spirit, it leads to us being mutually submissive. That we should be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's interesting when you read that, because you might think, okay, if this is the context, what's Paul about to talk about? And we might think, well, mutual submission in the context of our church, mutual submission in the context of our workplace, and... But he doesn't go there. He talks about our families. He gets really close and personal really fast. 
And I've been reading Eugene Peterson's commentary on the book of Ephesians, and he makes this amazing observation. And he says that home ground is the most immediate place where we practice our Christian faith. Home ground is the most immediate place where we practice our Christian faith. And I love this. I love it because it really challenged me when I first read this, not because I disagreed with what he was saying. It was just more that when I think about living as Jesus lives, or lived, when I think about how Jesus would have gone about his day, I think about that very much in the context of my workplace. I think about that in the context of, I'm at the supermarket. How would Jesus have interacted with people? I think about it in the context of church. I think about it in the context um, of all these day-to-day things. But I don't often think about it in the context of my home. How would Jesus be lived out in my home? How could I be Jesus in my home? And Peterson's making this great observation that it's in the home, that that is the most immediate place where we live out our Christian faith. Where we should be our our best and brightest, most like Jesus, should be in our home. And as I think about this in my own life, I'm like, man, I'm not very good at this. I can think about any given day where I've I've had a great day, I've interacted with the staff well, we're, we're getting along together, and maybe I've been Jesus in my workplace. Maybe I've been Jesus while I, I was driving in my car and I didn't yell at the other guy driving his car when he cut me off. And I, I feel like, I've, you know, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm not blowing my fuse. And then you get home, and it's kind of this guarded place where people can't see in, and it's you and your family. And when it comes to being Jesus in your home, it, you know, it can be easy to be, just kind of let it slide a bit. Your spouse says something to you and you just... You know, not right now. I don't want to hear it right now. Or, or there's things that need to be done, but you don't, you don't want to get to it. This is your time. It's your palace. It's your place. And you don't think a lot necessarily about being Jesus in that context. But I praise God that in Ephesians, Paul's given us a bit of the roadmap and the framework of how do we be Jesus in the context of our homes? How do we be Jesus in the context of our homes? And Pastor Ken has done an incredible job talking in the last two weeks about what it looks like for spouses. How do you be Jesus to one another? How do you live in your household in a way that honors God? And today we come to the section um, in this passage where Paul is now dealing with children and parents. Parents and children. And our context remains that of mutual submission. And as we read these words off these pages, I think we get a glimpse of of how do we be Jesus in the context of our homes, in that most immediate place. And as I've studied this, what's really been striking me is this reality that mutual submission makes us better. Mutual submission makes us better. As we submit to one another out of reverence in Christ, as we desire to be more like Jesus in our relationships in our homes, We all end up more like Jesus. And it makes us better. It makes us better. We are made more like Jesus as we work to see others made more like Jesus. We are better together. Before we dive into these these four verses, I just want to lay out some groundwork. And the first is that with the word child. You know, who, who here has parents? You know, we, we all have parents. We've been born. 
Uh, so the word that Paul's using here in this context, child, is, it's referring to all of us. Um, there are words in the Greek that's talking about little children. You know, we might think of children who are maybe 10 and under, 12 and under. Um, there is a word in the Greek that's referring to that, and that's not the word that Paul is using. Rather, he's saying, you know, we are, you're children in the sense that you are descendant of your parents. So when we're talking about children, don't just tune out. If you think, well, I'm not a child, don't tune out. And the other thing I want to say is, is to those of us who don't have kids, or maybe we don't have, um, we might think we might not ever have kids, I want to encourage you that the principles in this passage have a lot of application. And as I was reading this and thinking about this, it, it kind of hit me that the church is better together as we recognize our places as spiritual parents and children. That in the context of our family of faith, we have this amazing opportunity to be mentoring one another, to be coming alongside one another, to be walking with other people and helping them to be more like Jesus and take a role in someone's life as a spiritual parent. You know, it's interesting when you think that for those who are maybe coming from households that aren't very godly, they might not know the patience of a parent or the love of a parent, the teaching and instruction of a parent. But each of us have an opportunity to find those people, identify them, and come alongside them and demonstrate patience, demonstrate love. If they're willing, demonstrate teaching and instruction. So I encourage all of us to listen this morning and to, to really take from, take from this text what we can. And Tim, I'm just going to, this is really bugging me, uh, the booming. Uh, can I just switch to the handheld? Yeah. All right. Is that a bit better? That feels better. All right. So Paul starts off this section talking specifically to children. And we've had it read for us. I'll read it quickly again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You know, Paul's instruction here is very, very simple. We might read it and say, okay, I have to obey and I have to honor. I get it, Paul. What's interesting, though, is that Paul's instruction here isn't mutually exclusive to Christians. Even in our own culture, we look at children and we'd say, well, a child should obey and honor their parents. That's, that's a cultural thing. Even in Paul's day and age, for him to say, children, obey and honor your parents, no one in Ephesus is saying, whoa, 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 Paul, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Whether you're Christian or not, Everyone agrees that you should honor and obey your children. Sorry, your parents. But the distinction that Paul is making here is the motivation by which we do that. What Paul is bringing to a cultural norm, a cultural normal value, is a focus on a motivation. And he gives us two motivations in these four verses, and neither of them are cultural. So it's not this idea of obey your parents because that's simply what you do, or obey your parents because if you don't, you'll get in trouble. That's not what Paul's saying here. What he says is very clear. Chapter 6, verse 1. Obey your parents in the Lord. The first motivation that Paul is giving to children in, in terms of obedience, he's saying that you are now in the Lord. You're now in the Lord. It is right to obey and honor their parents because of their relationship to Christ. So Paul's not saying obey your parents because that's what you should do. 
He's saying, obey your parents because you're a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus, as someone who's desiring to live their life for Jesus, as someone who's desiring to walk in the way that Jesus walked, you need to obey your parents. And this goes beyond a social norm or expectation to the point where Paul is saying that obedience to your parents is actually a mark of discipleship. So all of us children in here, if you're still living under your your parents' roof, and, and you consider yourself a Christian, obedience to your parents, you can think of the motivation of that. Why should, I be motiv- why should I be motivated to obey my parents? Well, because I'm a Christian. And that's something that you do. The way that a child is to act towards their parents should be reflective of their relationship with Jesus. And it should be because I am a disciple, because I am a Christian, I choose to defer to my parents. I choose to submit to my parents. And what's really neat is when we're doing this out of the motivation of our discipleship, when we're obeying our parents because we really believe that it's honoring to Jesus, ultimately to Jesus, obedience to parents becomes an act of worship. That as we obey and submit to the things that our parents are asking us to do, we're bringing glory to God. We're honoring God. And through... And through obedience, um, and, and though be, obedience will look very different as we get older, you know, we don't expect a five-year-old's obedience and a 32-year-old's obedience to their parents to look the same. Things change. Honor will actually look very much the same. You know, as you move out of your parents' home, as you start a family of your own, a question you could ask yourself is, how can I represent Jesus in a way that honors my parents, in a way that I'm honoring my parents. And we can honor our parents by speaking well of them, by showing them that we value them, by showing them that we appreciate them. And a big way to honor our parents is by forgiving them when you feel like they've done you wrong, choosing to honor them by extending to them forgiveness. Now what's amazing about this motivation is that As we are obedient to our parents, as we honor our parents, this actually becomes a testimony to others about Jesus. It becomes a testimony to others about Jesus. You know, I remember when I was in elementary school, and kids would, you know, we'd be hanging on the playground or wherever we are at someone's house, and they'd say, hey, let's let's watch this movie or or do this thing. And and I'd be like, no, 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 I I can't. They go, why can't you? It's like, wow, my my parents said I can't watch that movie or I can't listen to that thing or or whatever it was. You know, and and kids can be mean, right? And they're like, what? Like, well, who cares? Who cares? And as a young kid, you know, you're dealing with this temptation to disobey your parents or fit in with the kids at school. But what's interesting is at that stage as a young kid in in my life, I had the opportunity to say, well, no, I'm going to obey my parents. And what happens is these other kids are seeing this weird Christian kid, is kind of how they looked at me, as being obedient to my parents, which ultimately became a testimony about Jesus. And it's interesting when we think in our culture, because there are so many broken homes, so many homes where where kids are growing up in in situations where they don't necessarily like their parents, they don't necessarily love their parents, Um, lots of things going on at home, lots of stresses. 
how can our Christian homes be a testimony to other kids, to other families? When friends can look at your family and, and say, man, you actually like your parents? You get along with your parents? It's a testimony to Jesus. So that's the first motivation, is we be obedient and we honor our parents because we're disciples. The second motivation that Paul's giving in this text is that in obeying and honoring our parents, they are promised that it's a good path. They're promised that it is a good path. And Paul takes us back to the Old Testament. And he looks right back to the Ten Commandments and he points out that, you know, in the Ten Commandments, God makes this promise. You honor your father and mother and it'll go well with you. Now, most commentators, when you study this, will point out that this Old Testament promise out of the Ten Commandments, it's not so much applying to the individuals and it's not a guarantee to the individuals. Uh, John Stott says that it's not so much long life to each child who obeys his parents, but it more is a social stability to any community in which children honor their parents. And he goes on to say that certainly a healthy society is inconceivable without a strong family life. So there's this reality that as children are obedient to and honor their parents, and the honor again, whether you're five years old or 35 years old, as we choose to honor and obey our parents, according to God's word, it's promising that this is a good path. And you think about that in the context of society when, when families are rallying around one another and, and raising children up in principles, biblical principles, raising them up in the Lord. There's this sense where we're walking a good path. We're walking a good path together. And as we submit to God's word in this, obedience and honor to our parents is ultimately obedience and honor to God's discipline and instruction which leads to vitality in our lives. I came across a bit of a, a funny story this week uh, when thinking about this whole idea of obedience. And it's about a man named Jack who's walking alongside a steep cliff. And Jack's walking along and he falls off this steep cliff. But he's fortunate enough to have grabbed a branch. And he, he grabs this branch and he kind of looks behind him and he sees that he is... He, if he lets go of that branch, he is going to fall to his death. And so he's freaking out. He starts yelling. He's going, help, help. Is anyone up there? Help. And he yells for a long time, but no one hears him. You know, Jack's about to give up when suddenly he hears this voice. He says, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? He says, yes, yes, I can hear you. Help me. I'm down here. And the voice says, I can see you, Jack. Are you all right? And Jack says, yes, but, but where are you? He says, I, I'm the Lord. And Jack says, the Lord? You mean God? He says, yeah, that's me. And Jack starts crying out. He says, God, please help me. I promise if you'll get me down from here, I'll stop sinning. I'll, I'll be a good person. I'll, I'll, I'll serve you the rest of my life. And, and God says, easy on the promises, Jack. Let's get you out of here. Then we can talk. And God says to him, now listen very carefully. This is what I want you to do. And Jack says, I'll do anything. Just tell me what to do. And God says, okay, let go of the branch. And Jack gets very, very quiet. Doesn't say anything. And a bit of time passes by and 
And finally, Jack yells, Help, help, is somebody else up there? You know, obedience is so much like that, and I think so specifically in the context of children to parents. When we don't want to do something, it's like we're holding on to this branch, and it's like, this is the thing I want to do. This is my way. This is my rights. This is my opinions, my thoughts. And maybe the parents are standing there saying, you need to let that go. You shouldn't be doing that. You know, this is going to lead to harm. And there's this resistance. Like, I don't want to let this go. I don't want to let this go. And I can remember so many times in my own life being instructed by my parents to let something go, and I just don't want to. I just don't want to. Obedience can be tough, both in our relationships to parents and to God, but we need to trust that loving parents and our loving God has our best interests in mind has our best interests in mind. So as children are obedient and honor their parents, they are made better. They're made better. As they trust their parents, that their parents have their best in mind. As they submit to their parents' instruction, they are made better. But how are parents made better? We go on to read in the text in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So children got three verses. The parents only get one, but there's still lots in there. And Paul's instruction, again, is very, very simple. It's very simple. But what I love about it is it recognizes that parents have a profound place of influence in their children's lives. They have a profound place of influence. They have a voice in their children's lives. And Paul's first instruction to them is about that voice. And he says, do not provoke them to anger. In the Greek there, it's this word exasperate. Don't annoy them. Paul's saying, don't be a voice in their children's lives that leads them to a place of resentment. Don't talk to your kids in a way that they come to resent you. Paul here is addressing the issue of parents abusing their authority and abusing that place in their lives. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 is an incredibly familiar proverb and it it reads this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I I really like this this proverb and I was reading again, I was reading Eugene Peterson and he um, makes this observation about the verb raise up. In the Hebrew, and he says that the, ra- the verb raise up is this picture of midwives taking oil and rubbing the oil on the gums of a newborn. And the idea was that somehow, I don't know how this works, but as they do this, they're teaching the child how to receive nourishment. So that it, when, when it comes to breastfeeding, the, the baby knows what's to do and they're ready to go. And so this, this word raise up is this picture this ancient Eastern midwife practice that would train this child to get nourishment. But what's amazing about it is it's tender. It's a tender action. It's patient. It's, it's sitting with the child and doing what needs to be done so that the child is ready when the time comes for them to need to get nourishment. What's interesting, though, is that we often read this proverb quite militantly. 
that we need to raise up our children in the way that they should go. In fact, we often add Proverbs chapter 13 um, to Proverbs 22, where it reads, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And we put these two Proverbs together and we go, see, we need to keep those kids in line. We need to, you know, make sure no one's stepping out of bounds. But we miss something. We miss the heart behind Proverbs 22. That's talking about the tenderness and gentleness in which a parent is to raise up their children. Paul is inviting parents to parent in a way that their children do not resent them. And it echoes this proverb in Proverb 22. Parenting in a way which is gentle, patient, grace-filled, loving, supportive, respectful, encouraging. Parenting in a way that is recognizing that you're doing some preparation. You're preparing them for what's ahead. But it's a gentle process. Paul moves from this do not command to the do command. It says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And very simply, I look at this and I, I read, parents, we need to be discipling our children. We need to be discipling our children. Paul is putting the responsibility of teaching children the ways of the Lord on the parents. Did you catch that? Paul is putting the responsibility of teaching children the ways of the Lord on the parents. He's not putting it on the church. He's not putting it on the pastor. He's not putting it on the children's ministry workers. He's saying, parents, raise up your children in the ways of the Lord. You know, as a church, we dedicate children. We invest time and resources into our children's ministry. We invest in our youth ministry. And all of this is very good, but it is only a few hours a week. It's only a few hours a week. There are so many places and so much time that the church can't get to in a child's life. But parents, you are there constantly teaching your children the ways of the Lord. Having opportunities to pour into them. Teaching and investing in them to be someone who loves God, who has godly character and biblical values. You know, and children today are being raised up in a, in a culture that is just screaming at them that they need to be doing something. To get out into the world and, and do things, do things, do things. And we invest so much time and energy in training children to be doers. But parents, you offer a unique voice to encourage your children to be someone. To be someone who is kind, who is gentle, who is patient. And this is where parents are deferring themselves to the needs of their children. They're taking time to get to know their children. They're taking time to walk alongside them, not just as parents, but also as teachers. Parents are taking time to learn their child's learning style, learning their interests, and helping your children to see where their interests and passions come alongside the passions in the heart of God. Helping them to see what it means to be a Christian in the context of their schools. Out on the hockey rink, in the, in the soccer field, when they're dancing. All of these things. 
teaching them the ways how to do those things while honoring Jesus, helping them to make godly decisions. You know, there's this another story I, I came across in preparation for this of a, a young boy who anxiously waited for his dad to get home. And his dad gets home and he runs up to his dad. He says, Dad, how much money do you make in an hour? And his dad's like, oh, it's a strange question for you to ask. And he says, well, son, I, I make about $150. And the kid pauses and he thinks for a bit and he says, um, well, can I borrow 20 bucks? And the dad's just angry, you know, he's like, like, no, like, he kind of sends the kid to his room. He's like, how dare he? He just manipulated me, right? He found out how much money I had, and then he asked for a cut. So he goes to his son's room later, and he, he goes to apologize, to say, you know, son, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I was a little rash there, I was a little aggressive, and I shouldn't have been. Well, how about you tell me what you want the $20 for, and we'll talk about it. So the son perks up and he runs across his bedroom to his piggy bank and he, he comes back to his dad and he pulls out all the money. He says, Dad, I have $130. With $20 more, I'd like to buy an hour of your time. I'd like to buy an hour of your time. This is such a sad story. But parents, being teachers to your children begins by giving them your time. To being present in their lives in such a way that, again, you're getting to know them. You're submitting to their needs. Which a lot of times will cost you time. And this doesn't mean that you have all the answers. But you have the opportunity and privilege to enter into a relationship with your kids where they see that you're still growing. And that as they ask you questions, you can say, do you know what? I don't know. Let's find out together. You know, I've been praying a lot for my future daughter. I've been thinking a lot about it and, and praying a lot about it. And I've been praying that God would put character in her and that she would grow up longing to know God more and, and all these things. And, but as I'm praying for this, I always find myself praying more for myself than I am for her. Because in my prayers for her, I start recognizing the place that I'm going to have in her life. And my prayers lead me to this place where I'm saying, God, make me more like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus so that I can teach my child to be more like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus. And this is where for parents, as we submit to our children, we start becoming more like Jesus and we see that we are indeed better together. That we are indeed better together. And for spiritual parents, mentors, teachers, some of you may be very intentionally mentoring someone else. Some of you may not be intentionally doing that, but have a place and a voice in someone else's life. I just encourage you to come alongside people, to invest in them, to yield to them your time, to yield to them your experiences. To look at someone and say, you know, I, I want to be more like Jesus. I understand that you want to be more like Jesus. Let's walk that road together. And you take this opportunity to, to be a spiritual parent to someone else. You know, and it's such a difficult thing. I, I think it's funny when it, you start talking to people about this idea of mentorship. It's like, well, mentorship, that's a weird concept. Um, 
But I think in the church we need to recognize that we all have something to offer one another. And in the context of this community, we have an amazing opportunity to engage in that, to invest in others. And I think the reason we don't is that we're often too shy to start the conversation, to come up to someone and say, hey, you know, I've seen the way that you care for your spouse. You know, I'm going through a tough time in my marriage. Will you help me? Will you talk to me about that? You know, those initial conversations are, are so challenging. But we need to learn to take the first step and not shy away from the opportunity to invest in other people's lives. So as we see in this text, as Paul's been laying out, as, parents, as children submit and to and honor their parents, as they obey their parents, they're made better. And as the parents are submitting and yielding to their children, seeking to raise them up in the ways of the Lord, they too are made better. And in that, we are made better together. Let's pray and close, close this message. <clears throat> Father God, we just praise you and thank you for family. God, we thank you for the privilege it is to, to come alongside others in life. Lord, the unique privilege that parents have in their children's lives. The unique opportunity that grandparents have in their grandchildren's lives. The unique opportunity that many of us have to walk alongside others, Lord, as a spiritual mentor and friend. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see those relationships. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't miss them. I pray that you'd help us to see the opportunities we have to teach, to instruct, to to come alongside in a loving way, or to invest our time in others, Lord, to see them be made more like Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we do that, that you would stir in us a deeper desire to be more like you. God, as we recognize that we do not have all the answers, Lord, but that we need you. We need you. So Lord, do that work in our hearts. And I pray for the the parents in this room, Lord, as they parent their children, Lord, I pray that you would bless them with profound wisdom and knowledge to see the places where they can serve and love their children more. And Lord, for those of us who are children, I pray that you would give us wisdom. Lord, help us to be quick to obedience when we need to be obedient. Lord, give us wisdom of what it looks like to honor our parents in this season of life. In all this, we just say we need you, Jesus. We just pray your spirit would be guiding us in this. But we praise you and bless you, Lord Jesus. Amen.